Thank you, Tony. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and we'll uh, do lesson two tonight in our continue series called Knowing God. It's good to know that we can know God. It's even better that God knows you. And that's the important thing. If he ever says, I never knew you, you're in a whole lot of trouble. So make sure you know God. John chapter 17 tonight, and we're going to move very quickly. You should have a handout. If you didn't get a handout, raise your hand, and we'll make sure that Pastor Paul gets those to you. Just raise your hand and hold it up until they come to you, all right? John chapter 17 tonight. We should also mention, and I, I, I didn't catch Pastor Paul's prayer request this morning because I had already moved out to the hallway. Um, but remember the... Patterson family, they had, um, you might have read in the newspaper that there was a farm worker that passed away this week very suddenly, and that was on the Patterson farm. And so, um, Brother uh, David and Lorraine Vogel and Stewart spent time trying to revive this man and giving him CPR and such. And so, they, they've been impacted greatly by this. And uh, if you've ever seen a life slip away right before your eyes, uh, very difficult. So be in prayer for them, but be in prayer for the Gillespie family. They actually live right across the street here, uh, right across from the church. And so um, uh, we're doing the funeral on Wednesday at Jason Smith Funeral Home, and then uh, we'll have a lunch back here at the church. And uh, what a wonderful opportunity to be able to minister to people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so be in prayer for that. Uh, I would appreciate that so much. I don't know the spiritual condition of the family at all. Um, I know the Pattersons had tried to witness to Michael many times over the years, and he just kind of shut it out. But um, I talked to the sister on the phone, and she says, I have a couple songs I would like, and she named them. And they were one of the songs was a song our ensemble has sang. So uh, there must be some spiritual background there in her life to know those songs. And so uh, that helps. And so be in prayer. I, especially Wednesday, I'd appreciate that so much that the gospel might be shared, but more importantly, the Holy Spirit would be able to work and help in that situation. But pray especially for the Pattersons and for Lorraine Vogel. as uh, that's, a, that's a really a thing that uh, I think David said, I'll never forget it. It'll just be right in my mind all my life. And so please remember them. John chapter 17, I want to also thank you. Uh, I should have done this this morning for the birthday wishes and the birthday party last Sunday night. I appreciated it so much. And it was a good time. And my wife, I, I'm not big on birthdays. I don't celebrate. And I, I guess when you get older, you don't worry about those things as much. Uh, but my wife insists that everybody in our family is having a birthday because she's having cake, whether you're having a birthday or not. And that's her addiction. And so that was good cake. And we enjoyed that and appreciate so much. Uh, everybody in the blessings, and I had a stack of cards I went home with, and uh, it, was, it was nice to be remembered. So thank you. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Look, if you will, in verse 3. In verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Think about that. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself, just three chapters earlier, said that in order to know God, you have to go through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. But the single desire of Jesus Christ is that we might know God. Because to know him is to have eternal life, and to not know him is to, to, have, uh, to be condemned to eternal hell. So we must know God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us tonight in this study. I pray that you'd 
give me strength to finish strong. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow these scriptures to help us tonight and teach us and grow us and make us more what you want us to be. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to teach us these things. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to preface this lesson uh, just so you know for the rest of the time, every time we do one of these lessons, I am not going to read every scripture that's in your notes. Okay, these, these are meant that you can take these notes home and you can study it throughout the week and you can check on those verses and, and grow and learn, all right? Make sure you do that. Take time to understand them. And, and if I read a verse, I may not tell you to turn to it because um, last week I had two and a half pages of notes and it took us about an hour. Tonight I got five pages of notes. So I'm going to try to get through in 35 minutes, all right? So hold on. And I'm not going to turn to every verse, but I may read it very quickly, all right? One of the most exciting things and humbling truths of the Word of God is that we can know Him. What a privilege that God has condescended Himself to our level. We could never attain God. We could never reach up to Him. They tried at the Tower of Babel. They have tried to bring God down to earth in clay and wood and stone and gods of man's making. But God himself sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bridge the gap, to die on a cross, to shed his blood for our sins that we might be forgiven. He was the propitiation of our sins. That means it was satisfying to God. It satisfied the justice and wrath of God. We must come through Jesus Christ. And if we're going to know God, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so tonight, I just want to look at some things very quickly about God. Number one, note Roman numeral one in your notes. God has revealed himself to us. God has revealed himself to us. He wants us to know him. He has introduced himself. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Have you ever, have you ever wanted to meet somebody? Perhaps it was somebody famous and you just thought, I'd like to get close. I'd like to meet them. And, and I, I remember years ago, the first time I went to California, we traveled with another couple and we went into the Reagan Presidential Library and sitting there signing autographs was Buzz Aldrin. How many of you are old enough to remember who Buzz Aldrin is? Nobody knows. He walked on the moon. He went to outer space. And, and I walked in, I saw this sign, said Buzz Aldrin was there. And I went, okay, cool. And there he was, I saw him. I, I took a picture. And, uh, but I didn't realize that the, the, the family we were with, that was like his thing. That was, his, he was, a, that was a hero to him. He lost his mind. He had to meet him. He had to get up beside him. He had to get an autograph and get a picture. And, you know, sometimes we're excited about meeting certain people. Listen, you'll never meet anybody like God. And here's the good news. So many people don't want to know God, but God wants to know you. And so the Bible says he's revealed himself to us. Look at letter A. He reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself through creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. We can see his handy print all over the heavens and the earth. We need only look outside to see the fingerprints of God. Turn, if you will, to Psalms chapter uh, 19. And if I'm there, I'm going to go ahead and read it before you. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1 is a very familiar verse of Scripture. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. It's interesting to me that every time an evolutionist pulls something out of the ground that they say proves the theory of evolution, the, the, the fact is it actually proves there is a God. 
Because whatever they find has design and order and it didn't happen randomly and by some cosmic hiccup or burp, God designed it. What an amazing God we serve. And so he's revealed us through creation. Uh, God simply spoke the world into existence. If you'll read later on, you'll see in your notes, Genesis 1 verse 3 and 6 and 9 and 11 and 14 and 20 and 24. How many times did God say, let there be light? And there was light. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God did all these things just with the spoken word. God has revealed himself to us through creation. Letter B, he has revealed himself throughout history. There's twice in the history of the world that the entire world knew the revealed truth of who God is. Uh, Of course, in the Garden of Eden, but that wasn't all that difficult. There was only two people. But Cain and Abel also knew who God was. But later on, we see that in the days of Noah, God revealed himself to the entire world. The Bible says that Noah, in Genesis 7, verse 1, was a preacher of righteousness. And he tried to, to warn the entire world of the impending wrath of God. Second Peter chapter 2 tells us that Noah was that preacher of righteousness for a 100 years as he tried to reach a world and let them know that God was going to judge their sin. God, Bible says that he would not, uh, he would not, uh, his spirit would not always uh, tarry with man, but instead he would come and he would judge the world. But that time that he stayed away was to allow every man to hear. When God poured out his wrath, every man believed. When the waters of the deep broke loose and the clouds began to pour out their rain, every man, woman, and child on earth believed. Whether or not it was on time uh, is not something we can discuss tonight. We, God had already judged his earth, but they all believed that God was real. So God has revealed himself through creation. He's revealed himself through history. He, let her see, he's revealed himself through the human conscience. This is important to understand. The Bible never sets out to prove the existence of God. We start with the very verse, in the beginning, God. That's it. Take it or leave it. Uh, there's no debate. You know, you know it's interesting. If, uh, if we go to a, a zoo and we see the, the little monkeys and things, boy, they're kind of cute, aren't they? I, I, I can really vaguely remember as a little boy my grandpa having monkeys. There used to be a circus that traveled by train across Canada, I guess. And every winter, my grandpa would get the monkeys. And he'd winter those monkeys for them. And then when the, the circus closed up, they let him keep those monkeys. And uh, I, I remember very, just very vaguely uh, only having one or two left when I was just a very little boy. And uh, one of them was called Grandma. I don't know if Grandma liked that or not, but that was, I remember. And Jim Wilson actually reminded me of that. He used to go over to the farm there and he'd visit those monkeys. Anyway, I remember going to show and tell one day. And I was in kindergarten or whatever, and one of the kids got up and said, we went to the zoo and we got to see monkeys. And I went, yeah, big deal. Doesn't everybody have monkeys? I just thought that was normal. You know, I grew up on, there was a cow on the farm, there was horses, there was monkeys, and I just thought that was normal. But we see those monkeys and we want to, oh, they're so cute, and we want to touch them, we want to pet them. But you know, I, when my kids were little, we went, we went to the Buffalo Zoo. 
And I remember going in, and those lions, the kids were scared of those lions. Nobody had to tell them to be scared. There was something ferocious about them. Just the low growls that they make startle a child, and they'll startle you. You know better than to step in to a place where there's a lion. I remember walking through the jungles of Africa, and, and, and one of the pastors was way out in front, another way behind. I said, what? why aren't you walking with us? And they said, because the lions don't know you. And they were just carefully watching and listening for signs of lions as we walked through the jungle. They're a ferocious, scary animal. And, and nobody has to tell you that. We just know. The existence of God is kind of like that. God has written it. The Bible says, listen, he has written his laws upon our heart. There's a moral conscience that is installed in every man. And the Bible teaches us that God has put in our hearts the idea of right and wrong. Romans 2, 14 and 15 is where it says he has written his laws upon our heart. And so understand that God has revealed himself to us, not just in creation, but in a very personal way. He's put his mind into our hearts, a yearning for God. If we could dissect the human soul, we would see that there's a place that only God would fit. And there's a yearning for him. That's because God has placed it within our hearts. John chapter 1 verse 9 says it this way. That was the true light, talking about Jesus Christ, which lighteth, listen, every man that cometh into the world. Every man that has ever come into this world, Jesus Christ has shone his light upon. One day, you say, well, what about deepest, darkest Africa where they never heard the gospel? Number one, I don't believe it. I believe in the days of Noah, everybody was a believer. I believe everybody got off that ark, believed in God. Everybody got off that ark, believed in God. And if their descendants don't believe in God, they're going to stand account to God for that. Because they've gone out and created pagan nations and worshipped after false gods. But God has put it within our hearts to turn to him. God has shone his light to every man that comes in the world. He's also revealed himself through the scriptures. Well, letter D, we're going to look at that in Roman numeral 3 tonight, so we'll lay it aside for a moment. He has revealed himself through the scriptures. Letter E, he has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Turn, if you will, to John 14, verse 8. Uh, we're going to move quickly, but we are going to stop and look at this because I think it's important for us to soak this in. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Verse 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me? Philip, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. He's been revealed to us by the Son. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 is another verse you'll see there. Colossians chapter 2 says that in him, Jesus Christ, does the fullness of the Godhead dwell bodily. 
We have the fullness of the Father dwelling in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, we see in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's talking about Jesus Christ, and we know that because he was the light, the light of every man that comes into the world. In verse 9 and verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was with God, the word was God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So we, he has revealed himself through his son. Look at Roman numeral two tonight. We know this about God as well. God exists as a trinity. God exists as a trinity. Years ago, I worked in a store in, Port, in Burlington when we first got married. And we went over and we were in the ministry. And, but we were also working side jobs. My wife and I worked in a grocery store over in Burlington, and most of the people we worked with were Muslim people. And uh, I remember having conversations with these Muslim folks and trying to tell them about, and they said, well, here's the problem with you Christians. This is what one lady said to me one night. She says, we believe in one God. She says, you believe in three. And I I didn't didn't even clue in that she was talking about the Trinity. I said, no, we believe in one God. I've been raised my whole life to understand the Trinity. So for me, it's just one God in three distinct persons. I just understood it and believed it. And it just didn't make sense that she would say we believe in three gods. And I said, no, we only believe in one God. And she went, oh, really? Tell me more about that. Well, then when we got to the Trinity, it really confused her. The Bible teaches that God is the three in one. God the Father is a spirit. The Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse 24. We also know that Lord Jesus Christ, as we just read, uh, as he testified to Philip that he and his father are one and the father is in him, that Jesus Christ is God. And then the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being God. So let's, let's look at that tonight. First of all, letter A, the Bible clears, clearly tells us there is one true God. One true God. Mark chapter 12 and verse 2, there is one God, the Bible says. But look at some other verses here that go with that. Isaiah 45 verse 5, I am the Lord and there's none else. There is no God beside me. Look at verse uh, Ephesians 4, 6. There's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. James 2, 19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The Bible testifies over and over that there is one true God. Uh, Number one, God exists as a trinity or a triune God or a three-in-one or a Godhead. And so we see some verses that testify of that. But look at this one in particular, 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, understand that we, we say, well, I, I, this just blows my mind. Number one, our minds are finite. God is infinite. We cannot understand the ways of God. His ways are unsearchable. And so it's trying to understand something that we may never physically understand in, in our mental capacity. Number two, understand it this way. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I understand also, and I I don't want to get off into modalism or saying that it's only a function, but understand that each serves a distinct purpose. 
God the Father is God, creator, father of all. God the Son is the one that was sent to mete out justice, to pay the price for our sins, to be the bodily form of God on earth, that he might be the propitiation of our sins and satisfy the wrath and justice of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that takes up residence within us and guides us into all truth, the superintendent of the church. We could go on and on about all their functions, but they serve distinct purposes tonight. Look, if you will, tonight, Romans chapter 1, verse 7. It's in your notes. Number letter A, the Father is God. The Father is God. We need to establish that all three are God. Romans 1, 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son, letter B, the Son is God. Hebrews 1, verse 8 says, but unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Notice who he is saying that to. He is saying to the Son, Jesus Christ, thy throne, O God. You know, the Bible, I've heard people say so many times, Pastor Paul, I'm sure you've heard it too, Jesus never claims to be God. You ever heard that, people say that? Jesus told Philip, I and my father are one and my Father is in me. If you've seen the Father, you, or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But later on, we see the, the writer of the book of Hebrews testifies that to the Father said to the Son, thy throne, O God, is forever. And then we see, let her see, the Spirit is God. In Acts chapter 5, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, listen, but unto God. He says at the beginning of the verse, in verse 3, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. And then later on, he says, you've lied to God. Because the Holy Ghost is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God exists as a trinity. Now, there are some verses as well in Scripture that mention all three together. And you'll see those in your notes, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heaven were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now you say, why is that important? If, if God is the three in one and he appears in one verse, big deal. It is a big deal, and here's why. There's a doctrine that's floating around today called modalism. That God is one God who just manifests himself in three different modes. And sometimes he's the Father, and sometimes he's the Son, and sometimes he's the Spirit. But in Matthew chapter 3, we see he's all at the same time. The Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, while the Spirit of God descended upon him. All three in one place at one time. He did not manifest in three different modes. Instead, he was three coexistent people. That's an amazing God. He is the three in one, the triune God. Another verse that, that testifies of that, Matthew chapter 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He didn't say, well, check in with God and find out if today he's functioning as the Father or the Son or the Holy Ghost. 
Just go and baptize in all three names because they're all functioning at the same time. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. They're not two different things. They are the three in one. And we're thankful for both. Jeremiah, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The blessing that was prayed upon the Corinthians was the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. All three together. God's working as a triune God. Now here's the thing. Number two. God is a triune God, but we are made in the image of God. We are made to reflect God, in other words. Genesis 1.26 reinforces the doctrine of the Trinity. Let us make man in our image, plural. Let me ask you, when God said that, who was he talking to? He was talking to himself. God was talking to the Word, Jesus Christ, and God was talking to the Spirit, the three in one. Let us make man in our image. Man resembles God in the sense that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. So we have both physical and immaterial components in our being. And so there are four main areas of comparison. Now let's look at those tonight. Number two, letter A, mentally. We compare to God mentally. You're not as smart as God. You never will. You don't have all knowledge like God has. He knows the end from the beginning. Wouldn't it be wonderful just to have a little tidbit of that, to know how our lives will play out, how our prayers might be answered. But we don't have that kind of knowledge. But mentally, we compare to God in the sense that we have intelligence and rationale. Intelligence and rationale. We see that in Genesis 2.19. Adam was given the responsibility to name the animals. Think about that. All these names we have today are 6,000 years old. God named them, or Adam named them all. So he gave them intelligence. He gave them the ability to reason. They gave them, uh, letter B, socially we compare to God. He created mankind with the need for interaction and fellowship. Why did God create man? For fellowship. Why did God create Eve? For fellowship for Adam. Because we are like God in that sense. We need to have that communion one with another. Uh, morally, let her see. He created us with morals. We have the responsibility to live according to right and wrong. In Genesis chapter 2, he put a tree in the midst of the garden. He said, you can eat any fruit in the tree you want, but not that tree there. The knowledge of good and evil. And they had to make a choice, and they chose wrong. He gave them a moral responsibility. I'm, I'm so glad that I have a God that never does wrong, always does right. So mentally, socially, morally, and we are like God in the sense we are spiritual creatures. Letter D, spiritually. You are created with a spiritual life that will forever have the capacity to have a relationship with God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. That relationship was severed by sin, but it can be reconciled through the ministry of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Spiritually, God has made us in his image. Roman numeral three. Roman numeral three. The Bible then tells us about God's characteristics. You know, it's interesting to me that the world doesn't believe the Bible. 
They don't believe the Bible, but they'll say things like this. Well, I, you know, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. Well, why do you believe in heaven? The only place you ever read about it's right here. And if you're going to believe that, why wouldn't you believe hell when it's in the same book? just doesn't make any sense to me. The, the knowledge that we have of God comes from the word of God. So many people manufacture things and say, well, you know, I just, that's not the kind of God I serve. I believe that God is like this. God would never pour out his wrath upon man. God would never judge. And, and, and all the nonsense that's going on in the world today. And they say, well, God's okay with that. No, he's not. You have manufactured a God, but he's not the God of the Bible. And so God tells us about his characteristics in the word of God. And let me say this. There are characteristics. We are created in the image of God, as we just said. There are some characteristics that only God can assume. We can never achieve them. But then there are some characteristics that God says, I want you to be molded into the image of Christ. I want you to be like this. So let's look at those very quickly tonight. Letter A, some of God's attributes are unique to God alone. Number one, he is holy. He is a holy God. That means he is completely sinless and absolutely unique. He's unique because he's sinless, and he's sinless because he's unique. Nobody's like him. He's perfect. He's holy. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, we remember the vision of Isaiah. And one cried unto another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Number two, he is omnipresent. He is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere at once. It's interesting that we are the only faith group in the world. I, I, I don't know how to say that properly, so I'm saying faith group. Christianity is the only belief system in the world that has Satan's counterfeits. You understand what I mean? At resurrection, the world throws the Easter bunny out there. Try to distract. At Christmas time, they bring along who? Santa Claus to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Other religions, they'd, they'd crucify you for doing that. I heard years ago that a little uh, kindergarten class down in Florida had a pet bunny rabbit in the class, and they named it Muhammad, and they wanted to bomb that school. They wanted to destroy those kids for naming it after their prophet. The prophet was just a man. He wasn't even their God. Incredible. But we have all these counterfeits that we tolerate. But Santa Claus, do you know what they say about Santa Claus? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That is taking from the omnipresence and omniscience of God. That's what that is doing. So we need to understand that, that only God is omnipresent. Only God is everywhere. Only God, his, the Bible says his eyes go to and fro across the earth. He knows all. He sees all. He is omnipresent everywhere at once. Proverbs 15, 3 the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Number three, he is omnipotent. means he's all-powerful. You know, we worry about so many little things, but we have an almighty God. He is all-powerful. Listen to what the scripture says, Psalm 33, for he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's a great verse to memorize. 
It's so matter of fact, isn't it? He spake and it was done. How many of us talk about things and then we talk about them a little bit more, then we write out our plans, then we debate them and then we take them to somebody else and we say, can you critique this for me? And we think about it. No, no, God spake and it was done. It was finished. And when it was done, by the way, he saw that it was good. Perfect the first time. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Jeremiah 32. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arms and there is nothing too hard for thee. Number four, he is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Number five, he is immutable. I-M-M-U-T-A-B-L-E, immutable. Cannot and will not change. If you ask me, if you were to ask me, what, what is your favorite attribute of God? I like that he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, I like all those things, but I like that he's immutable, that he never changes. He said, why is that? Because I can count on him. He's this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the fact that he's omnipotent only really matters to me if he's immutable. I don't want God being all-powerful one day and then change the next. I don't want him all-knowing one day and then change the next. I don't want him showing grace and mercy through Calvary and then change his mind the next day. He is unchangeable. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And Hebrews 13, 8 is the verse I just referenced. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You better be thankful that when you stand before God, he's not changed his mind on your salvation. It is the same. Number 6, I think, is our next number. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. That means he's the ruler of all. He's in charge. I, you know, sometimes we think we're in charge, but God's in charge. Sometimes there's kings of this world that think they're in charge, but God's in charge. Satan thinks he's in charge, but he's not. One day, like a fly, God will swat him aside and cast him in the lake of fire. Isaiah 46, verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. All my, whatever I want to do, I'll do. He's a sovereign God. First Timothy 6.15, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Number seven, he is infinite. That means he's eternal with no beginning and no end and without measure or limit. God has no limit. You can't measure him. Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Mark that in your, in your mind, in your Bibles, in Psalm 90, or write it in your notes right under that verse. He is from everlasting to everlasting. When everything is said and done, God will still be there. You can count on him. Letter B. Then there's some attributes that God wants to develop in us. Turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. We're almost done. But we should read these together. Galatians chapter 5. 
Number one, the fruit of the Spirit. There are some attributes that God desires to see come forth in your life. The fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. See, what are those things? You know what love, joy, and peace are. We could use a lot of that. Long-suffering is the ability to suffer long. It's patience. But it's not just patience. It's endurance during tribulation. When things are difficult, you're able to not just be patient, but to endure it. It's long-suffering. Then he says gentleness. We could use that, couldn't we? Sometimes our words are so harsh. Goodness and faith, meekness, temperance is self-control. Self-control. Against such there is no law. That is what the Spirit of God will do. And as we get to know God better and we learn more about him in the coming weeks, these things ought to begin to develop in our lives. Because that's what God is cultivating in our hearts. And then we see in Romans chapter 28, Romans chapter 8, look back there. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, we love to pull these verses out just by themselves, take them out, and, but notice how they go together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You say, well, that's wonderful. I like when things work together for good. It may not be the good you're thinking. Notice what he says, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The good he is talking about is not that you're going to end up with a million dollars. If I endure this tribulation for a little while, it'll all come out, sunshine and rainbows at the end. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's using all these circumstances in our lives to make us more like Jesus. The good that he is working in our lives is he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. If you ask Jesus what his life was like in the 33 years he spent on this earth, it was pretty rough. He was mocked and scorned and rejected by those he loved and crucified on a Roman cross. That's what he faced. But he says, I want you to be conformed to his image. I want you to be more like Jesus. Jesus was perfect grace and mercy. He loved people. That's what God is working in our lives. So as we grow and in the coming weeks, as we learn more about God through these studies, that's what the Spirit of God is trying to do in our lives, develop the fruits of the Spirit and to make us more like Jesus Christ. Look quickly at your applications at the bottom. Number one, let's be reminded that God has revealed himself to us because he wants a relationship with you. Maybe you don't know Jesus tonight. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You have to come to God through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so God wants a relationship with you. Number letter B, growth in your Christian life comes through growth in your personal relationship with God. Listen, you cannot grow spiritually apart from this book, apart from getting to know God better, spending time with him, 
that's how you grow in every relationship. You can say, oh, it was love at first sight. That may be, but it will not grow beyond that unless you spend time and invest in it. And so you must do the same with the Lord. Grow in your relationship with God. Letter C, growth in your Christian life is measured only by one thing, becoming more like Jesus. That's the only way. If you can, at the end of your life, we can say, boy, you're so much more like Jesus. You're meek. You're mild. You're merciful. You're graceful. That is the true measure of Christian growth. Listen, you say, well, I've, I've memorized Genesis 1-1 right through Revelation 22. I could, I could quote any scripture in that book. You name it, I'll quote it. I can win all the sword drills in Sunday school. I can answer any Bible trivia question. Listen, it is not about a head knowledge. That is not the measure of personal growth, spiritual growth. The measure of personal spiritual growth is are you more like Jesus? That's what we're striving to be, conformed to the image of the Son. Let's pray. Father, help us speak to our hearts tonight, we pray. And Lord, help us, Lord, to commit ourselves over the next several weeks to make these, the lesson tonight to be our goal. Lord, that we might be more like Jesus each and every day, that we might exhibit the fruits of the Spirit of God. And Lord, that we might be an important part of the body of Christ, a complement to our local church. Lord, we'll thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand just for a moment. We'll, I just give you that little challenge and ask you to commit this to your heart. That over the next little while, we will grow. That we'll continue to come and take these studies and learn and grow. And I, I know, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I'd rather preach any day than teach. I really would. But I know how important it is that we just teach the basic doctrines of God's word every once in a while. And understand who God is what he's done for us.